Out of the imagination of Ralph Bakshi comes an epic fantasy of peace and magic set 10 million years in the future. A tale of wizards. Attention! Leaders of tomorrow! The evil Black Wolf and Avatar the Good wage a desperate battle in the final struggle for world supremacy. Wizards, rated PG. Welcome back to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, this is our second installment of a new feature that we're hoping will continue to recur called Movie Lovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers presents Movie Lovers. Usually on our show, Dion, my co-host, and I cover one movie at length. But the, the idea of this show is to talk to new people about their love of movies. Today's guest is uh, a little bit of... I guess sleepover movie royalty and that on our show we have said on several occasions that his father is kind of the patron saint of sleepover movies. So uh, we've covered John Carpenter films several times and of course his mother is Adrian Barbeau. He's a talented musician and composer, songwriter. He has a new album out called Alternate Universe. And today we are talking to Cody Carpenter. Thanks for being on the show, Cody. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. First, I want to talk a little bit about Alternate Universe. Uh, it's kind of electronic-based music, but you you sing on it, too, so it's very song-based. And mm -hmm. how long did it take you to do it? Like, when did you start it? Um, well, let's see. I've been writing uh, some of those tracks on there have been uh, in the works for... Uh, a couple of years, actually, uh, I'd just been sitting on a bunch of songs that had vocals on them, and I was, um, I decided I should probably do something with it, so I wrote a bunch of more songs with vocals on them and uh, put them all together. Now, uh, what is, what is, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Ludrium? Oh, yeah. Ludrium? Yeah, it's not a real word, so uh, you can really pronounce it. <laughs> but how, how do you, you pronounce it? <laughs> I pronounce it Ludrium, yeah. Okay. Uh, and what's the origin of that word? Um, you know, I just needed a, a made-up name. Uh, you know, when you're, you're playing uh, like a role-playing video game or something like that, and you have to name your character. I, would, I always wanted to just use the same name, so I decided to come up with a, a fake name that kind of sounded cool, sounded like something. Oh, uh, so that's what I came up with. <laughs> okay. I was wondering Absolutely if no would... meaning at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you know, there's a lot of these guys that work in electronic music that all have, you know, kind of handles. And I was wondering right. if it was that or just something else. I was just a little bit curious. Yeah, it's kind of a handle, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, actually, you know, for the, the, the Alternate Universe album, I actually released it as a Cody Carpenter album. I, I uh, kind of separate... Um, my Ludrium stuff, which is more uh, instrumental kind of uh, progressive rock stuff, and the Cody Carpenter stuff, which is vocals and a little bit more kind of uh, accessible um, kind of 80s synth stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, so I kind of separate them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the Alternative Universe album. Uh Kind of right Did up you? my alley. I mean, that sound that you're, this kind of synth sounds that you're working with on that album have have become. Uh, they're making a bit of a comeback in a weird way, and right. So it was kind of the right time for that, and uh, just wondering, you know, what is it about the, those sounds, the the keyboard, you know, the synth, a little bit of history about like why you kind of gravitate towards that stuff yeah um you know that's the kind of stuff that i loved when i was younger um i love the synth sounds and you know that's an influence certainly from my dad you know he's a big uh synth user and he always has used a lot of those sounds in his scores and things like that um so i'm you know uh heavily influenced by that style and like you said, it's kind of uh, making a comeback with, um, you know, artists nowadays. So uh, I thought maybe I should make an album kind of in that vein, you know. I guess, yeah, I guess you were born when this album was made. But I don't know how, uh, how familiar you are with your dad's album of Waiting Out the 80s. <laughs> but uh... I, I don't know if I was born or not, <laughs> but I am familiar with the album. There was, I don't know, and I, it's probably not right to make comparisons, but I do find that there's a, there's a certain uh, familiar tone between the two of those, uh, your, new, your, oh, really? your new album and, and that one. I mean, I think it's, it's possibly because vocally you and your dad, uh, well, your dad back then anyway, have kind of a similarity, and it's working a lot with those kind of synth tones, and um, it's, it's a little bit poppy, which mm-hmm. uh, I know you don't describe your your stuff as that, but I think definitely some of the stuff on this new album kind of it does have a little bit of a pop, pop sensibility to it. Oh, uh, for sure, yeah. Um, um, you know, I'm just looking right now. Uh, that album was uh, 1985, so I was born, uh, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't wasn't you know conscious enough to be yeah, listening yeah. to the album, anyways. <laughs> uh, now, uh, speaking of your dad, you just spent. I don't know, probably almost a year, a little less maybe, touring the world with alongside your dad. How what was that experience yes. like? Oh, it was uh it was great. Um yeah, we uh we really only did Europe and um the United States uh and uh, but yeah, it was it was a uh, you know, an amazing experience. The I was blessed enough to see the show three times. So uh, three times, wow! Yeah, okay. I saw it in New York, and uh-huh. then I saw it in DC, and mm-hmm. then I actually saw you guys on Halloween night in London, which was oh great, which was fun. And actually, I think you guys—I don't know about your dad, but I think you guys and the at least the band stayed in the same mm-hmm. hotel I was staying. <laughs> oh really? I, oh, I saw wow. you guys packing up and leaving. Uh, Oh, great. Uh, like the day that I was going to leave England, I saw you guys packing up the van and, and heading out. Yeah. Um, the show, for people that didn't have a chance to see it, the show was this kind of great blend of uh, your dad's probably most famous themes, as well as stuff from the Two Lost Themes albums, which, in my opinion, the stuff that played best live was the new original stuff than the themes. I mean, I think the themes were made for a very specific reason that didn't doesn't necessarily translate to live performance as well as kind of the more 
uh, isolated, you know, tracks mm-hmm. that you guys created for Lost Themes. But it was this fantastic blend of the two. With that said, my favorite track of the of the set list, my favorite song on the set list was the, the track from Christine that you guys ended with uh-huh. every night. And it, partially because it was very different than the way it's used right. in the film. And I was wondering if maybe you could shine some light as like how that arrangement and feel came about for that track of Christine. Yeah, um, well, the uh, the original the the theme from the original score um, we could have you know kind of done it that way, but um, I think it was Daniel uh, Daniel Davies. He's the guitar player. He's kind of the third uh, the third guy. You know, it's myself, my dad, and Daniel that are kind of doing everything. Yeah. Uh, Daniel had the idea of kind of making it into a um, kind of a more rocking number. Um, and so it was really, uh, his idea and he came up with the arrangements and stuff like that. Um, I think it really turned out great and it, it feels great as a closing song, you know, it, uh, it just has that, that quality to it. Yeah. It's very, it becomes very poppy and ballady in a weird way. Um, it was, it was a great way to end the show. Uh, I interviewed your dad for a book that I wrote that came out last summer, which was a, uh, it's called Scored to Death, and it was a book of conversations with horror movie composers. And I was just wondering, because you said that your dad, that, you know, the synth stuff, you know, obviously was influenced by your father. Uh, was your dad, like, technically inclined back then? Because both interviewing him and Alan Howarth for the for the book it seemed like your dad was all about playing but he kind of left all the technical stuff to alan at that (laughs) that time period like he wasn't interested in that kind of stuff uh you know i'm not really sure i don't you know because i wasn't i wasn't no but i mean just like when you were growing up like you know he's you're influenced by it. Did he have the? Did he have equipment? I mean, did he show you how to oh, use sure. it? Like, was he technically inclined in that way? By the time you got around to getting saying. interested, um, yeah, he always had uh, instruments around the house, um, and it was always very encouraging to play them. Um, yeah, you're right. He's um, he's definitely more uh, songwriter, more player, as opposed to uh, you know uh, mixing and uh, producing and things like that. Um, which is, uh, which is, you know, so nowadays we have the three of us, Daniel, my dad and myself, and, uh, we all have kind of, uh, slightly different roles, you know, which, which works out really well. Um, so all of the kind of, um, uh, mixing and that kind of stuff, my dad doesn't have to worry about it as much because he's, he's much more interested in, uh, the writing aspect, I think, and the, and the playing aspect. Um, it's a bit more, uh, a bit more fun for him, you know? Yeah. Some of the listeners of the show, uh, who have heard me talk about scored to death have heard a story where my, and, and you can debunk this theory cause it's not my theory. Mm-hmm. A very good friend of mine, the one I went to see, uh, you guys play in DC with, he has a theory that because I, in, when I interviewed your dad, it was about six months before the lost themes thing was even announced. And mm-hmm. so I got very lucky in that way because your dad was not kind of tired of talking about music by then. <laughs> you know, right. At then. Because by the time that album came out, he was doing a lot of promotion. 
Um, and so I asked him in that interview, I was like, why? Uh, I said, have you ever thought about doing an album? And he was like, no, it's just that's that's not what I do. And it's it's a lot of work and stuff. And then like six months later, it comes out that you guys have an album coming out. And so I contacted his uh, assistant again. And I was like, you know, I have to interview him again now about the new album because he says he's not going to do one. So I need to be right. as up to date as I can because the book's not out yet. So I talked to him again for a little while about the album. And uh, so my my buddy Dave, who gets talked about on this podcast a lot, has <laughs> has the strong mm-hmm. theory that it was my interview that inspired it. But Oh, <laughs> But uh, your dad talks about how it was just kind of tracks that you guys were working on with for fun that kind of ended up turning into something. So I'm just curious between, you know, you, your dad and Daniel, like how what is the collaborative process? And because I don't get the sense that a whole lot of it, maybe the second album was, but I don't get a sense that the whole the first album was a whole lot of like the three of you working together. It seemed like it was tracks getting passed around and kind of constructed that way. Right. Yeah, I can um I can elaborate on that a lot. Um and I'm I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't think it was your interview that <laughs> that uh I always made my dad want to do the album. <laughs> I always stood by that. I, <laughs> that I I honestly didn't believe that as well. But uh, it's good that now I can tell Dave definitive, definitively <laughs> that I have I have a first-hand account. So, uh so what happened was um I don't remember what year this would be, but uh a while back, um, so my dad got a new computer and uh, he got a whole nice kind of recording setup and uh, all sorts of gear and stuff like that. So um, I would just come over and we'd mess around with it. We'd record some stuff, you know, just having fun and um, doing that sort of thing. So then I left for Japan uh, for work. Um, so this, this must have been around 2012 or 13 or something like that, probably 2012 uh, or maybe 11 even. Anyways, uh, I left and, um, it's kind of the stuff we had done was just kind of sitting there and my dad was contacted by his, I want to say his music lawyer, um, and asked if he had any material that he wanted to release. And so my dad uh, remembered the stuff that I had, that we had done together and thought, you know, maybe we could, uh, elaborate on this stuff and release it. So that's when he brought in Daniel and they started doing more stuff. And I started sending stuff from Japan. Um, and like you said, it was more kind of a pass around kind of thing. We weren't all in the same room together. Yeah. Um, this is the first one I'm talking about. Sure. And, um, that's, pretty much how the first one came about um so then i returned from japan uh right about when the when that was getting released and so we decided to do the second one and the second one was more uh we're all in the same room together kind of thing which is why it has a slightly different feel from the first one i think yeah well, the stuff played. I mean, I love the album. I love the out. Al- you know, the studio albums themselves. But the stuff played great live. I mean, like I said, for me, those other than maybe the Christine track, those were for me the highlights of the shows. That just, oh, great. You know, they feel more like complete pieces, and mm-hmm. um, it seemed like you guys were unified on those a little bit more. Uh, not to say that mm-hmm. there was anything you know not enjoyable about the about your dad's themes and stuff too and the rhythm side like the rhythm section you guys had was really 
on point too. You guys had a great band. It was a great unit altogether for those live shows. Oh yeah, those guys are are amazing. They're um, uh, they play with um, Jack Black in um, Tenacious D. That's that's uh, his his band. Yeah. Um, they're yeah they're amazing. We're we're so lucky to have them. Um, playing with us uh those guys are great well especially because so much of that stuff is kind of like electronically precise that you guys Mm -hmm. really needed a drummer that could really hold it down (laughs) oh yeah you know scott's amazing he's just so precise and uh it's just great he's also got the little drum pad back there he's he's triggering things yeah yeah it was really an incredible show i mean two quick anecdotes uh, about my experiences with the show, and hopefully I won't bore you with them. But uh, the first <laughs> one is that when I saw you in New York, which was the first show that I saw, uh, I was very excited. I made sure that I didn't, you know, read anything about it. I didn't want to know anything about the show going into it. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're probably sick of people talking about your dad, but your dad and his music and his films were very important to me and were very much the inspiration for the book that I wrote. Uh, in a lot of ways. And I talk about the importance of the In the Mouth of Madness score in the in mm. the in the f- preface of the book or the or the introduction. Because that was kind of my gateway into this into this horror music. And mm. I had just finished it. I think it was just about to come out or had just been released or was just on Amazon right like right around that time. And you guys get to the point in the show where you guys played the main theme to In the Mouth of Madness. And there's the section in the middle where you guys kind of all step back. And it's the only time your dad really plays by himself right, on stage. And kind of the lights go out except for a spotlight on him. And his part comes and it's, you know, for me, seeing it for the first time, it was very moving. Mm. And it was, I think it was partially kind of the sense of accomplishment of finishing this book that I had been working on for three years that track being a very important track as to how that book came about. And then it was like kind of this moment of, you know, everybody cuts out except for your dad and he's just standing there and it's like, everybody's giving kind of props to your dad as he's playing for us. And mm-hmm. I got, I was very moved. I actually was moved to tears at that point of the show oh, great. for the first, yeah. for the first show. Um, so it, it was, uh, the whole show and, and especially that track was uh, it, it meant a lot to me and and I and I appreciate that you guys came out and played for fans like that. The uh, the second quick anecdote is when I saw you guys in D.C. I was sitting on the front row, mm-hmm. and I personally felt that the New York audience wasn't into it enough. So I had taken it upon myself in the DC show to <laughs> try to get oh. people clapping and get, get some audience reaction. And the only time your dad ever acknowledged it was you were just start starting your solo on, on the track from they live. Mm-hmm. And I just yelled out, do it, Cody. And your dad <laughs> looked at me and he smiled and he just had this big pride of a father <laughs> <laughs> smile on his face for, for like a good 30 to 40 seconds while you soloed oh, based on my, uh, you know, my excitement about hearing you, you know, <laughs> rock it on that track. 
I think actually I remember uh, someone, or it would, I guess it was you, someone saying something like that for that show. That was very great. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, well, having seen it already, like I knew where those kind of moments were coming. and um, Right, right. And it was very, I'm a blues musician, so it was very cool to, you know, see you guys do that track as kind of a, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's blue, it's a blues track anyway, but to have you guys elaborate on it, you adding a little bit of a jazzy kind of solo to it and then daniel mm-hmm. taking kind of a more rocky blues guitar solo really kind of helped you know like have that sh- song realized for for a live audience it was it was a mm-hmm. real thrill now like cool. you uh you know i i i suspect like i guess like me i suspect that your parents were were had kind of split up when you were really young Right. Yeah, I never knew them together. Yeah. I was a baby. I, I think I don't even. I'm sure it's probably right after I was born, or right yeah. before I was born, something like that. Yeah, yeah I have the same situation. Um, I have an oh, older okay. brother. I have an older brother, so he, you know, he has a little bit of a more of a recule- uh, you know, recollection of my of my parents together. But my parents were apart for as long as I can remember. So I'm just curious, like growing up uh as part of a you know having a split family like that like did you live with your mom did you live with your dad or was it truly like split um uh initially i was mostly with my mom but uh then i went like half and half kind of thing um um it's kind of half the week with my mom's half the week and my dad's uh what what kind of situation did you have uh, for the most part, especially like my youngest years, I, I saw my dad on the weekends. And then, oh yeah, I think that was similar to what my situation too at then, first. And then I have, I think, partially because of, I think, partially my love for cinema comes out of the fact that there were these odd occasions that I remember growing up where my dad would pick me up on a weeknight and take me to the movies. Oh, cool. And one of those movies is something we'll talk about later, but I remember my dad picking me up on a weeknight and we saw Transformers the movie. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, wow. Okay. That's great. And uh, so, and, which we've covered on the, on the regular show, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We did that uh, a long time ago. And another memory is my dad doing the same thing for Flight of the Navigator. Uh, a Disney movie from the 80s and so I think in a lot of ways I think my love for going to the movies comes stems from these kind of excursions of usually I'd see my dad on the weekends and he did take me and my brother to the movies a lot but there was these odd times where on the weekends he would just he would pick just me up and we would go to a Mm -hmm. movie every once in a while oh that's great do you have any kind of you know oddly uh fond memories of occasions like that with your dad um well i guess um i could say you know he took me to the set uh a number of times um when i was growing up uh i want to say in the early 90s uh for example on uh vampires or on mouth of madness um i would be on the set while he was shooting and watching him uh, you know, do his thing. Uh, that was certainly a, an amazing experience that I, I think a lot of people didn't have. Um, and it's just great to, to you know, see my dad in his element and, and working and things like that. That's certainly uh, something that stays in my memory, you know. Sure. I mean, my dad was a lawyer, so I never really 
got oh, to yeah. see him work and surely watching him work probably wouldn't have been as interesting <laughs> not as much fun yeah it's <laughs> watching your dad direct a movie and stuff like in the mouth of madness i mean were you did you were you around and get to see like the crazy you know k and b effect you know like monster effects and stuff when you were there or was that not the on the days when you were there oh no for sure and um I would, you know, I'd be shown the uh, the models, uh, show, watching them making the models, and um, uh, you know all the effects stuff. I was uh, aware of and and checking out, and yeah, for sure, I was. Uh, they they took me uh, quite a bit and showed me quite a lot. Now, before we kind of steer more into the direction of us talking, just two guys who love movies talking about movies, I was wondering if. You know, I think, and I could be an oddball or or a weirdo, but I think based on interviews that your dad has given and uh, the movies he makes, that fans of his probably have a certain perception of what he's Mm -hmm. like. And I was wondering if maybe you could, you know, either confirm or break these conceptions for us. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Like, your dad comes off as uh pretty no nonsense even when i when i interviewed him we had uh, we i i think we both had a like a mutual uh fun experience with the interview like i said your dad wasn't too sick about talking about music yet and we actually shared a lot of laughs but your dad's not like a big talker for instance you know some of the other composers you know it was sometimes hard for me to get a word in in the middle of the interview whereas your dad (laughs) does not elaborate a whole lot so uh you know, I think your dad coming seems very, he seems intimidating and a little bit, like I said, no nonsense. As a dad, was he like a strict dad? No, not at all. Um, he's the best dad ever, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, it's just, uh, most of my memories are just, you know, watching him working and um, and just him being a great great dad i you know i he he is kind of a no-nonsense person uh but as a dad he's not like that at all Um, yeah i mean even now we you know we're always playing video games together and watching nba together um it's certainly not not kind of the strict cold figure that i maybe that's the (laughs) perception but well i think certainly not i think there's definitely kind of uh you know contradiction i think is is for the way I think probably for the man and the way your dad presents himself as kind of like this serious filmmaker, I, I, I get a sense of contradiction. Like I said, he seems very no nonsense, but then again, he seems very rock and roll in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I would imagine, and you can, can, you can confirm or, or, uh, you know, debunk this. I would imagine that at some point, maybe not during your lifetime, but maybe, you know, that your dad owned, either a Corvette or a Mustang convertible? <laughs> um, he owned a helicopter. Um, <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> I, uh, he was always a Cadillac guy. Um, okay. I think he had Cadillacs for uh, through his whole life, really. I figured um, it would be some kind of American car. I didn't picture your dad. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, what, yes, yes, yes. He, he's had Cadillacs. That's his thing. Uh, like for instance, I would imagine, I don't see your dad listening to the Beatles so much, but I see your dad being a Beach Boys fan. Ah, well, you know, that's kind of the interesting, um, the interesting thing. He's a huge Beach Boys fan. Yes, you're correct. But also a huge Beatles fan. Interesting. Um, Equally 
or perhaps maybe the Beatles even more. Wow. Um, you know, that was that was his kind of uh, era, you know, of sure. of rock and roll. You know, he loves the Beatles, loves the Rolling Stones, um, and loves the Beach Boys. You know, uh, I don't think he really uh, cares that you know. Oh, they're an English group or something yeah, like that. Yeah. He's not an all-American. Yeah, kind of guy. yeah. That's no, I, not, I didn't. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine that he would object to them because of that reason. But that oh. for some reason that you know, it would just seem it was just more American. You know, Beach Boys I have see. a much more American sound. <laughs> sure. You know, not so much a conscious decision of like, oh, I don't care about the British crap, but uh, right. more of just being kind of drawn to that to that British sound. Uh, let's see. Uh, I also can't imagine your dad, you know, listening to MP3s and stuff. In my mind, your dad still has a cassette player in his car. <laughs> um, uh, what you know, I, I, yeah, he he does listen nowadays. He listens to MP3s. I have to say, but uh-huh. he, you know, he doesn't drive a lot anyway, so he doesn't yeah. usually listen to music in his car. Um. And it would be a CD if it wasn't his car. I, I hate to say, yeah, not yeah. A cassette tape. No, I would imagine so. But like I said, that's why we're having this conversation, right? Does your dad sing along in the car? He certainly used to. Uh, we would, you know, we would drive up to um, Northern California, and I have very fond memories of. In fact, we'd sing the Beach Boys. Um, you know, uh, we do like the harmonies and stuff together. Um, Yes. So yes, he does. <laughs> I also, <laughs> or this, he did anyway. I have no basis for this, but I picture your dad being a fan of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like I, I said, I I could... it's, a, it's an assumption based on nothing. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could uh, tell you that was true, but actually, honestly, I don't know. Uh, if your dad was going to drink beer. I imagine it would be something like Red Stripe or, you know, Peels. Does your dad drink beer? And if so, do you know the brand that he would gear towards? Um, he used to, and he always had one brand that he that he he drank. Hold on, let me try to steam. <laughs> what is it? Uh, oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, man. I wish I could remember the name of that thing. Uh, sorry, I can't remember the name of it now. But he, there was a specific brand that he always used to drink. To your recollection, um, was it domestic or or imported? Oh, I, you know, I, it was probably domestic. But honestly, <laughs> I just can't remember the name of it. Hold on. Uh, oh shoot, it's not. I can't remember. Sorry. That's okay. I appreciate the effort. And when your dad smoked, what was his brand? Um, let's see. Uh, I want to say Winston. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I was going to say, I, for some reason, I would have said something like Marlboro Lights. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but Winston, just because Winston didn't come directly to mind, but that makes total sense to me. But to be honest, you know, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while, and uh, my memory's not so good on... No, nah, that's okay. I appreciate you playing along. Okay. And uh, I guess the last question is... and. Uh, about your dad before we move on is like clearly your dad talks a lot about Howard Hawks and John Ford mm. and, and all this stuff mm-hmm. but I imagine that your dad has to have like guilty pleasure movies that he would never you know talk about we all do 
not that I, I always say I don't really feel guilty about liking anything that I like, but I imagine that there's got to be some like oddball movie that your dad will watch every time it's on TV, even though, you know, we would never expect it. Do you, can you think oh, of anything yes. that might be, <laughs> that might peak that, might hit that uh, cr- category, that criteria? Well, there's, there's two, uh, two, well, one specific movie that comes to mind and one kind of genre of movies that, that comes to mind for me um i think my dad's you know true uh kind of love is the science fiction films of the 50s and 60s okay and uh i don't i don't mean the good ones i mean all of them like yeah. you know the really cheesy ones as well um and not only sci-fi but kind of the horror movies as well um you know if uh one of those will be on TV or something. He'll he'll definitely watch it. Now, in terms of a specific movie that, uh, for whatever reason, has become a tradition in the household, is the first um, Independence Day. Okay. Uh, yeah. Whenever that it's on TV all the time, and for whatever reason, whenever it is on TV, he has to leave it on, and we all have to watch it. It's very strange. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anybody likes it really. I don't. My dad certainly doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, but we have to watch it. It's this strange tradition that's developed in the house. I, I honestly, I don't know why. Yeah, I think uh, all households have that. That's why I was, I was curious. Right. Because, right. you know, I think my dad, maybe Top Gun is a movie like that. From Top my Gun. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my dad loves every Mark Wahlberg movie. It doesn't matter like what oh. it is or like how bad it is or how good okay. it is. And he has the thing about Mark Wahlberg, which is very strange. You know, I was just wondering because I was like, your dad has to have something like that. I'm like, maybe I was like, maybe Carpenter is very into like Dodgeball, the movie or something weird. Like uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> but Independence Day is, is a good one. Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure if he likes it. But no, you it, know. I think it's kind of like a torturous thing. Like we have to sit through it again, you know, for, I don't know why. It's just this strange, strange <laughs> tradition. Well, you know, it's, it, it, it's a perfectly fine movie. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a blockbuster and, uh, you know, Bill Pullman, great in it. I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed right. about, about watching Independence Day. Uh, right. Let's see. So um, now I would imagine, you know, because I, I See, I'm not surprised that your dad's into like the 50s sci-fi and horror stuff. I don't picture your dad being a guy that keeps up with the horror genre, which was another reason why. I don't even picture your dad being a guy that loves, you know, the horror genre as a whole, but a guy that that is talented at working in it and and, and might and mm. hopefully enjoys working in it, but um I never really saw him as a guy that you know, was keeping up and like reading Fangoria and <laughs> keeping up with what, the, what right. the latest trends are. Uh, but so I, but I would imagine that move, watching movies had to be at least a little bit of a thing in the household growing up, right? For me, um, yes, yes. And he, he showed me many, many, many movies uh, growing up. Um, and I would watch stuff at my mom's house as well. Sure. So yes, that, of course, that was a big, big part of growing up. Now, uh, you know, in preparation for this, we kind of talked about, I was curious to see what kind of things you were into and you warned me ahead of time that uh you're not a huge horror fan which is totally okay right. uh i don't think it's weird you said i might you, you know you kind of uh, indicated that it might be weird because my dad is john carpenter but i'm not that into horror i don't necessarily think that's a weird thing 
Oh, uh, I'm glad. <laughs> but, Many uh, people do. It's 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 uh, they just assume, you know. Uh, but I'm glad that you don't. <laughs> like I said, I don't even really. I don't know. For some reason, I don't see your dad being a, like a diehard horror guy. Anyway, you're right. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of the guys, especially from your, your dad's generation, uh, you know, had success with certain genres and then got offered that work going forward. I don't see your dad being a guy that hates the horror genre, but I don't necessarily ever imagine that your dad was a guy that was, you know, gung ho about all things horror, especially because, I mean, we think of him as a horror director, but I mean, clearly if you look at his body of work there, there, it is kind of eclectic. I mean, of course you have right from New York and a movie that, you know, you listed. So I'm assuming that, it's a movie of your dad's that you like, which is Big Trouble in Little China, right? Um, and stuff like that uh, is it's Big Trouble in China is arguably the most fun of your dad's movies. Is that's why you you kind of gravitate towards that one? I think so. Yeah, and and just like you said, I you know I uh, I kind of wish that my dad. Uh, wasn't sort of pigeonholed as only a horror director because he's not obviously like yeah. you said. Um, and Big Trouble is the perfect example because it's it's pretty far away from horror in in any respect. Uh, but it's a really fun movie, you know. Yeah, it's also got a great score. Yes, I'm, I love the score for that. Yeah, yeah. up to that point, up until the '90s, that was probably your dad's like biggest score. In terms of just mm-hmm. like sheer size of it all, <laughs> and uh, even the, um, the you know the 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 song the with the vocals the pop song, mm-hmm. um, I love that I love that song so much. <laughs> I, it used, I remember watching it as when I was young, and I, I figured out the chords to the song, and and uh, yeah, the soundtrack is just so great for that movie. Yeah, I think that's the 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 surprise when that video was put on. I think was put on the DVD that came out a number of years ago was, mm-hmm. you know, watching and seeing like, Oh, like that's Carpenter singing that part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think yeah. anybody imagined that it would be, he would sing with that kind of like smooth, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, like kind of low voice. Um, yeah. Uh, other than big trouble with China, we talked, uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier based on a kind of a fond memory of mine, but, uh, and I've seen you mention this movie on Twitter as well, Transformers, the movie. Oh, yes. From 1986. Yeah, so that, um, I think I watched it in 1986 when I was two. Um, yeah. And I would watch it repeatedly every day. Um, I think my mom, she, you know, back in those days, uh, she would record the TV uh, onto VHS, and um, and then that's what I would watch. And we somehow got a copy of Transformers the movie. I don't know if she recorded it off the TV or if we had the VHS or something. Anyways, I would just watch it repeatedly over and over again, um, and just every day. And so it was a huge part of my of growing up was that movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, I never saw it in the theaters like you did, which I'm, you know, it's a huge, uh, I wish I could have done that. Yeah, it's, it's, I was, let's see, that's 86, so I was about eight. Okay. Uh, 
so I was old enough to kind of remember, but it is like a really early kind of memory. Like I do remember seeing it and I do, because now we look back on it and we talked a little bit about this when we covered it on the regular podcast. I mean, especially at the beginning, it's pretty messed up. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I yep. do remember, I, you know, there are stories of like kids crying and stuff, and I don't think I did that, but I do recall mm. it being rather traumatizing. Yeah. Uh, especially because, I mean, you were pretty young when it came, when you first saw it, uh, but being eight, you know, I had the toys and I watched the, right. uh, the afternoon cartoon show. And then it was like all of a sudden every character we ever knew was now like dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like sheerly to like make room for a new line of toys. <laughs> like, right. Let's and get that's ri- exactly what it was. <laughs> let's just get just rid of the toys. Get rid of yeah. this line so, just so we can introduce new toys and sell a crap out of them. Uh, one thing, I mean, it's a great score as well by uh, Vince DiCola and that has come out recently or within the last couple of years on final. But one thing that I was kind of shocked about when I watched it, you know, a a year or two ago when we covered it on the show is how kind of like sparse the, not the music, but like the actual film soundtrack is when, and Mm. it's just, it's, uh, you know, with animation, it's, the soundtrack's kind of everything because you don't have production sound, for instance, you know, and then right after that, we covered GI Joe, the movie. And even though that ended mm. up just being a TV movie, it like, it was mm-hmm. just the, the actual soundtrack was much more lush with sound effects and ambient sound and stuff. So that was, that mm. was like my main takeaway watching it now, you know, so many years later as an adult being like, and I'm you know, my day job is as, is as an editor. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff is, what I do for a living. So (laughs) it was, uh, it was this, that was like, wow, this is, this came out in theaters and it's really kind of empty audio wise. I mean, there's a lot of pops hit, you know, songs, the soundtrack is, is in the pop songs where I remember that was great. And, and some of them are still used as parody to this day. And I remember the score being great and listening to the score now is, is awesome. But, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting, movie and uh kind of that phenomenon of the 80s of the the idea of like half hour long commercials every day after school for toys (laughs) right and and the whole cartoon thing and then ramping it up into uh you know feature film uh yeah yeah i actually i had a chance to speak with the writer uh, a number of years ago um and uh i talked to him a little bit about um, the movie and you know like you said you know they told him we gotta sell these new toys so let's get rid of the old toys and introduce the new toys and so that's what he did and he didn't realize that um, so many people were attached to you know Optimus Prime and the characters from the original characters it didn't even occur to him that killing them off would cause such a bad reaction um, that it didn't even you know cross his mind, <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, you'd think, okay, yeah, I know this is kind of going to be a heavy thing, but you know, we got to do this. But for him, it just it was just he got the order and he just carried it out. He didn't even really uh, think about it, um, which I thought was interesting. Did you watch the show as well? Kind of uh, you know, growing up alongside of with, with viewing the movie several times. Yeah, so that's the thing. I didn't really. Uh, so I wasn't. I didn't have that same attachment. Yeah. Um, I always preferred the 
the newer characters to the older characters um, because as I continued to watch the movie, you know, every year and every every day or whatever for a number of years, uh, yeah. I then watched the TV show after that. Sure. And and I was like, wow, the animation sucks in this TV show, you know, because the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the movie has such great animation. Oh, the movie's beautiful. You know, that, yeah. was, that was the other thing. The sound, like the actual sound of the movie being kind of sparse mm-hmm. was a takeaway. And then the other thing that I remember watching again was like, wow, this movie is gorgeous to look at. Right? Yeah. I, I know. It's really just beautiful. Just the animation. You know, that in those days they had the hand-drawn animation before all this digital stuff. Um, it's just so... I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, I want to say errors, animation errors, you know, they have some color issues. Sure. And some uh, you know, they have a whole IMDb page on all the <laughs> the the problems with the visuals, but you know, whatever. It it's still just a really beautiful movie. Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, I was kind of like I said, I think I'd seen you on Twitter mention it once or twice, but uh it was, you know, when you when you pick that as kind of a movie that we might talk about. I was like, yeah, that's a that's that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 beyond a movie for me. It's like it's had such a huge impact on my life. I mean, the soundtrack in in particular um, is just I I basically everything I do is a ripoff of <laughs> Vince DiCola. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that's that's kind of the beautiful thing about art in general, and I think that's why the listeners that we have for the regular show enjoy the show and show that we do is is really based on nostalgia and kind of going back in time to like the period where these movies uh would have had these kind of impacts sometimes they're movies that do have those kind of impacts for us uh personally and or you know we kind of try to put our selves back in the kind of a childlike state and experience these movies from from that point of view um yeah but that's kind of the beautiful thing about music and movies and art is that there's something beautiful about the fact that this thing can come out and you experience it you know a two-year-old cody carpenter and then growing up with it mm-hmm. you know it becomes something that is defining Exactly. In a lot of ways. And it's something, and, and in this case, it's something that a lot of people that didn't grow up around the same time that you and I did, and you're a little bit younger than I am, uh, something that they would dismiss automatically. But yet it was so right. important to you. Right. Yeah, there's a, when you're young, you know, all of the art that you experience, all the music and everything has such a huge influence on you, um, for, for everyone, really. And, yeah. um, you know, for me, I I used to watch the same things over and over again. So the stuff from the 80s uh, stayed with me as I grew up. You know, I didn't uh, I didn't stop watching Transformers the movie. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. You know, it just kept going with me. You know, it's such a huge influence. Yeah, for me, it was there was one year really early. It was the late 80s or early 90s, and my dad was like, what do you want for Christmas? And I think the the original Star Wars trilogy had just come out on VHS as like a, like re-released as like a, you know, a three-pack or something, and I asked for that. Mm-hmm. And then I watched one of those movies, at least one of those movies, every week. Oh, for, yeah. For I don't know how long. <laughs> right. Yeah, you Star know? Wars was really big for me, too. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, it's it's kind of a 
it's kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, we also were lucky enough to grow up at a time, you know, I call kind of our generation, well, my generation and you being a little bit younger and then like my brother being a little bit older, I, I call us like the video store generation. I mean, we also had an opportunity mm-hmm. that nobody had had before we mm-hmm. did, which was we grew up at a time where there was like such thing as home video or going to a <laughs> video store right. and renting something, you know, people right. kind of forget or don't even realize if they're, if they're, you know, even a little bit younger than we are, that there was a time where if you saw a movie in the movie theater, that might be the only time you ever saw it. <laughs> right. You know, right. maybe if it came on TV, you would, you would catch it again at some point. Uh, novelizations, the movie tie-in books were a mm-hmm. big deal. That was that was how you relived movies, <laughs> was right. by, by reading them or listening to the soundtrack on vinyl, you know, when it came mm-hmm. out. But we were very lucky that we had the opportunity to uh, have the ability to watch movies over and over again. And in a lot of ways, movies, nobody thought the movies would be watched that way to begin with. Yeah. Uh, right. So it, it's all it's all of like a really fascinating thing to me. This idea of time and mm-hmm. gr- when we grew up and how movies are viewed now. I mean, nowadays people just watch them like on their iPads or on their phones or something. Right. <laughs> you know, there's right. almost there's almost there's almost too many, uh, too much variety. You know, I'll sit there and try to right. find something on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, and I'll spend a half an hour looking for something. I'm like, now I don't have time to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh yeah, I mean about the VHS is I remember I think the reason why I kind of stayed watching the the 80s stuff even as I grew older was cuz I had a certain number of VHSs and I you know you can't there's no internet you can't yeah, watch yeah. anything else. So I would just watch the same things over and over again, you know. Like sure. I had I'm looking at it right now I have this uh GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords VHS. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah, classic. Um, but, uh, and what else is over there? Oh, Visionaries, you know, the TV show is a cartoon uh, by Hasbro. Uh-huh. I had, I had the, uh, this, it was very short-lived, only 13 episodes, kind of a G.I. Joe kind of thing. But anyways, I have the VHS there. I just watch it over and over again, you know. But yeah, definitely the, this different, just different time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also, like, I didn't have... At my dad's house, I had cable. But at my mom's house, I didn't have cable. So mm-hmm. at some point when my mom finally got a VCR, which I don't even think was until like, I was 9 or 10 when my mom got remarried, my aunt gave my mom a VCR for her for their wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I remember the first thing we watched, which we got out of the library, was mm-hmm. Star Trek Four. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Because they had that at the library. That was the first video we watched on the VA, on the on the VCR that we got. My dad had a VCR, um, you know, long before that, and, and we would rent movies. And we've talked about it on the show. Like we used to go to Rite Aid to rent movies mm-hmm. back then, because video stores were not popping up as kind of full fledged stores yet. And I have this kind of this funny story, uh, you know, not to harp on your dad, but a very early VHS memory it was my dad. And my older brother and my stepmom rented Christine. Oh yeah, on VHS, and I was very young. I mean, we're talking. I mean, we're talking. It was probably like a new release on video. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was mm-hmm. maybe four or five, and uh, the opening of that movie is the you know they're manufacturing the car, and then 
you know, it's indicated that Christine has is is sentient in some way, and she doesn't mm-hmm. like the guy in the car, and he see that slams the door on the the hood on the guy's hand, and then kills the guy in the car, and I was freaked out. Right, as four years old, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to watch this. And I remember going, like, leaving the room, and my dad and my brother like kneeling down to my height, and them being like, "It's she's like the cat. The car's like Kit from Knight Rider." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like talk, I don't know about that. <laughs> like talking me into to coming in and right. watching that movie. So right. uh, it, it was a very odd uh time. Now you indicated Transformers we just talked about. You also indicated that you're you're often drawn to animation. Um Oh yes. Is yes. it uh what is it about, I mean obviously there's probably a visual aesthetic that you're drawn to, but what 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 is it specifically that kind of draws you to animation? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't really know, um, and I'm not even sure. Do you do you guys usually talk about animated films on your uh, show? We at all? talk about you know anything that pops into like we've we've covered a few, and we're actually anxious to get back to it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we try to we tend to we've for no specific reason we've ended up focusing on movies of the 80s and 90s but we've branched out to the 70s and we even did for halloween one year we did a horror movie from the 30s uh we grew up in mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s so that's tends to be a period that we kind of stick to because the idea of having sleepovers with your friends that was kind of the age we were but uh right yeah i mean like i said we did transformers and we did uh gi joe but we've right. off, we've been talking about um, returning, and we might actually be returning by the time this airs. Maybe next week we might be doing an animated movie. But I would love to. Uh, I think both Dion and I, who I host the show with, would love to kind of dive in more into the kinds of movies that you actually kind of listed. Maybe not so much Fantastic Planet because it's foreign and and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but like Wizards, you know, I, I'm actually a fan. Yeah. Of, I find Ralph Bakshi to be kind of like fascinating. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah, I do too. Um, um, yeah. That was another one that I, I, you know, we had on VHS or something and I'd watch it repeatedly. And, but like uh, Christine was for you, that was kind of a traumatic oh, yeah. uh, movie. You know, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that that was like his stab at trying to make a family friendly movie. <laughs> It was really. <laughs> I was reading oh, something man. about it because I knew we, you know, we might talk about it, and it had been so long since I'd seen it. So I revisited it, and I was just like reading stuff online about it. And somebody was like, "Ralph Bakshi's attempt at making a family movie." <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, there's like Nazis in it and stuff. I, I don't know how that's a family movie. <laughs> so this was it's, this hap- this happened to be another one that you just had on. It was in the it was in the library, so well, you watched it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my mom, uh, she she had, you know, I don't think she knew what it was. Sure. I, similarly with Fantastic Planet, which has nudity and, uh, you know, lots of very adult things. I don't think my mom knew what she was showing me at when I was a little kid. Yeah. And like Wizards, you know, it's violent. I mean, there's, there's uh, this themes of war and and all this stuff it's not a kids movie it's not a family movie i don't know <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> why he thought he was making a family movie if that's true well you know his right his sensibilities are so unique true. you know true unique yes yeah one true. of the one of the first movies of his that i saw was 
heavy traffic. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and that was obviously it's a completely different animal than something like Wizards or, you know, the Lord of the Rings movie that he did or, right. um, you know, this very urban. I, I think, you know, I don't think it was till recently where people started to acknowledge adult animation. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly with uh, Fritz the Cat or whatever, he was a little bit of a pioneer in that way. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we grew up in high school with anime was becoming a thing. And I, I mean, it was com- becoming a thing here. Things were becoming available to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had picked, a, a, you know, you had mentioned that you're a fan of Akira. But I remember in high school seeing like Ninja Scroll. Oh, yeah. And, sure. And becoming, uh, you know, kind of fascinated with that. And they had made... In the eighties, they made a Golgo thirteen. Uh, oh yeah, you yeah. know, um, movie uh, animated movie that I love to this day. And um, but I think people make this connection of like animation means kids movie, <laughs> right? I mean here here in America, anyways. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, uh, like yeah. the fact that your mom didn't realize that, you know. Also, it was a different time, too. I mean, we talk about this on our regular show, and uh, mm-hmm. I talked about a little bit about this with Richard Christie on the last episode of Movie Lovers. And even when I saw my brother for Christmas, we were talking about the kinds of things we saw that people would never show pe- people today, kids today. Right. And But there is this mentality of like, hey, you know, we, like, we turned out okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. the fact that I watched Christine that little or... Uh, or, or or anything like you know any movie that was maybe not appropriate for a child uh, in most in today's parents' eyes you know the fact that those things happened uh, mm-hmm. you know it's uh, you know I didn't uh, luckily I'm not some kind of crazy killer so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, know? you know it I mean it's it's good for the argument that you know uh, movies don't you know they can't turn you into a bad person you yeah. know it's not I don't think it has that. They have that kind of effect, you know. So, uh, are you a, are you a fan of other Bakshi stuff or just Wizards? Because well, not just Wizards, but Wizards specifically because of uh, this idea of that you you owned it, so you watched it repeatedly. Yeah, that that one in particular um, was kind of a big one for me. I I then as I when I got older I was interested in, and wanted to watch his other stuff, you know, but when I was younger, I didn't, uh, wasn't really aware, um, of his other stuff, you know, cause it, it's very adult. Sure. Most of his stuff is very adult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I got older, I kind of, you know, watched some of his other stuff. Although, you know, I haven't seen the Lord of the Rings one yet though. And I've but, heard that's yeah. really good. I actually, oddly enough, that's, I haven't seen that one yet either. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird how you kind of, s- s- you know, skate around, the ones that would be probably the most likely to be seen first. <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes they slip through the cracks. Right. But yeah, you know, I enjoy, I remember cool, cool world. Uh, oh yeah. That was a fun one. Um, yeah. I remember when that came out, it was it kind of a, you know, it was a big deal. I mean, it was coming off of, or it was around the time it was probably, it must've been just after, you know, Roger, like who framed Roger Rabbit. Right. This idea of like, we can make a, you know, we can make a live action slash animated movie and it'll be successful. Look what happened with Roger Rabbit. I mean, I could be wrong about the years. 
but I could see right. that being like the uh, <laughs> like the studio mentality. Oh yeah, let's get mm-hmm. you know, let's do another one. It ended up being like Cool World. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not quite exactly what they want. And uh, we had mentioned a we had mentioned Akira. Are you a, an anime fan in general? Um, you know, I can't say that, but there are some uh, you know, Japanese animated movies that i really like and yeah. akira is, is one of them for sure um and i do i do remember ninja scroll as well you just mentioned that <laughs> i have a fun story watching that one um my buddy and this would have been high school i guess yeah he invited me over to his place this is the first time uh you know i never been over to his house and and uh you know i was this was like late at night i was so tired and i just wanted to go to sleep and he just kept playing the movie and rewinding the scenes and like you know he would not let me go to sleep he forced me to watch this movie over and over again i mean it's a good movie but i was just so tired i just wanted to go to sleep and he anyways that's my my memory of that movie well yeah i'm sure you know not specific to that movie but you know part of the you know part of the whole thing of our show is the is the friend the sleepovers with your friends so i'm sure, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. I'm sure we all have stories like that uh, there's yeah. always the one guy that wants to stay up. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then everybody else is like, I just want to go to bed. Just go to, go to bed, yeah. <laughs> I will have to say, that, admit, though, that uh, I was likely the guy that wanted to stay up most of the time. I oh, no. <laughs> I don't think I made people watch, you know, something over and over again. For me, I'm, I kind of have the attitude that you have with, uh, you know, the anime stuff and that like I think people would label label me as a horror fan because I, I do love horror and I've and I've I've been a champion of horror for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I was just saying I like the stuff I like, you know. Right. Uh, you know, I tend to a lot of my favorite filmmakers happen to be horror filmmakers, but it's not like I like it's not like I love all things horror. I think I get right, I right. get labeled with that or or I remember one time uh, Deanna, I co-host the show with, he was like, well, you know, you're not that big of a Western fan. I was like, I like a lot of Westerns. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, right. like, I don't, I don't consider myself a necessarily a fan of one specific genre. I just like the movies I like. Right. Right. Similarly, that's why I'm, you know, cause my coming back to my dad, you know, he's, he's always pigeonholed as kind of the horror and, and he even refers to himself as the master of horror, yeah. but, but he's, he's so much more than that, you know? And, uh, you know, he's also a huge Western fan, and that's the one genre that, I mean, he, a lot of his movies are Westerns, you know, at heart, sure. but he's never done, like, a real kind of straightforward Western movie. Uh, vampires is not really Western, but uh, yeah. that, that's kind of one genre I, I, I think it would have been great to, for him to make a movie of. I love that, the score to Vampires. Oh, yeah. Um you know, I did get to talk to your dad a little bit about it, but uh, years ago, I, I used to write regularly for a blues website. And mm-hmm. right when I was writing for that blues website, Steve Cropper, legendary rhythm guitar player, he had an album come out. And so I interviewed him about the album, about, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, Steve Cropper, you know, he's the man, he's the legend. And <laughs> But at some point I did, towards the end, I was like, uh, Steve, one of the things I have to ask you about is, the score to vampires and he just started laughing like this big belly laugh 
Oh yeah. And he just was, he, he one loved that. I asked about it and he seemed like he, he had nothing but like amazing memories of working on that oh, cool. score and, yeah. um, and, and hanging out with your dad. He's like, yeah, we'd record and then we'd go to a bar and have beers together. And, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's a great, I mean, you know, you got Duck Don and Steve Cropper. I mean, it's a great, uh, Skunk Baxter. I mean, it's a fantastic band. I mean, it'd be hard not to have great music, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> with with, uh, with uh, uh, the Texas Toad Lickers, I think is how they were billed on the. Stage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking at the the Wikipedia right now. Yeah, Texas Toad Lickers. It says it. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Actually, that was the first one that I I did a little thing on as well. Um, I had a little, just a little synth thing I did. They have me listed in the additional personnel. That's nice. I'm looking at the Wikipedia right so now. So how old were you around that time? So that, it looks like that was 98. So I would have been, um, I was born in 84. So I was <laughs> 14. <laughs> yeah. I'm cause there's math. Yeah. I remember it. Cause the one thing I asked your dad about, there's this little piece in there. And I can't recall exactly where it fits in the movie, but it's definitely mm-hmm. on the CD. And it's it's a very small piece in the on the soundtrack. It's in the CD soundtrack. I think it's a bigger piece in the actual movie. And it's very reminiscent of, I want to say, Suspiria. Oh, yeah, really? Um, the, you know, it's not like a ripoff, but you could tell that there's like this Italian... <laughs> Oh wow! Influence on it, and I asked your dad about yeah. it. And he's like, "If you say so." <laughs> he's like, "I don't remember. Maybe, could be." <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, on that on that line, um, you know the um, the Masters of Horror uh, episode. My dad did uh, cigarette burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2006. This is much later. Yeah. Uh, I did the score for that, and the main theme, I just totally ripped off Suspiria. Uh, that was that was my whole idea, was to just rip off Suspiria. Um, and my dad said, go for it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, he had expressed a, a liking, you know, an admiration for, for Goblin's music and Tangerine Dream and right. stuff. In my book, I interviewed Claudio Simonetti of the band Goblin. And, oh yeah, and he—I uh, don't remember how it came up. I guess we started talking about your dad, and he's like, and, and he's like, and his son Cody's a, a musician. He's like, I met Cody at a convention with his mom, right? And uh, so you're featured in the book, but not by your dad, by Claudio Simonetti. <laughs> <laughs> well, also he um, he came to our show in Rome last year. Yeah, um, and I. Like, you know, I had first met him, just like you said, when I was maybe 15 or something in a convention in, in Brussels. And then I had, uh, hadn't had seen him since then. And then he came to the show last year in Rome, and it was it was really great to see him. He's a really cool guy. Um, both my dad and myself are huge fans of his work with Goblin and his solo stuff um, and his soundtracks and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think other than your dad, his music and goblin you know uh, you know lumping them both together as kind of one thing were the two biggest influences on my love for horror music and why eventually oh, cool. i ended up writing this book um the the preface of my book is this kind of retelling of seeing the that current lineup when he just before he left goblin 
They were really mm-hmm. new Goblin, but when they toured the states, they just were labeled. They were just billed as Goblin, and it was the preface is my retelling the story of going to see them in Brooklyn, New York, and oh, how, cool, and how really that show became like the direct inspiration for pursuing the book because uh, mm. that show sparked literally over a year of listening to almost nothing but goblin music <laughs> oh wow uh, that's he, cool he had a band in the early 2000s called daimonia yes i remember that yeah uh which was had a big impact on me uh i, I don't know why how i don't know i had this the first one the cd they put out which was called like dario Argento tribute or something mm-hmm. and this was before i had an mp3 player we're talking about like 2000 I guess it was 2001. I just graduated from film school and I would have to, I had sold my car to make my senior film. So I had no car. So I I got, you know, I entered the workforce fresh out of college and I would take public transportation everywhere. And it would take me like two and a half hours to get to work. Mm. And, uh, I dug out like a Walkman because I, I didn't have an, you know, iPods were just becoming a thing and I didn't have one yet. so I made a tape, and uh, side A of the tape was Hollow Oates' greatest hits, mm-hmm. and, side, and side B was Daimonia. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a great combo. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just listen to that tape every day. I would listen to, on the, on the, on the radio, the FM radio on the Walkman, I would listen to like the last hour of the Howard Stern show, because he was still on terrestrial radio then, before he went to satellite. And then mm-hmm. uh, on my way home, I would just pick up wherever I left off, and it was this perfect blend of, you know, whatever I needed musically at that time. It was either covered <laughs> yeah. by either Hollow Notes or by Demonia. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and That's I, really I probably, great. I'm, I gotta see if I still have that tape somewhere because <laughs> I like literally for a year. That's like all I listened to was just this wow. weird. Uh, it would flip over and then it would be like it would go from like man eater flip over and it would be like the dawn of the dead you know <laughs> soundtrack and da- the thing with daimonia was it was not specifically goblin but mostly goblin it was the dario Argento mm-hmm. scores but done rearranged to be more like songs oh and yeah and had a much more like metal vibe to them mm-hmm. so it was like mm-hmm. this hard you know kind of retro melodic metal versions of Dario Argento themes on one side mm-hmm. and then like Sarah Smile and Rich Girl on the other side. <laughs> That's funny. Um are you are you probably uh familiar with the Cherry 5? Oh um, yeah, yeah. They has they put out a new one. Well, I mean obviously it's not the they same did. band, oh. but but uh the same singer kind of Oh, I got to check that out. I I didn't know they had a new thing going on here. Yeah. I, I really like that album, you know, the old the uh, was it seventy five or whatever? The yeah, I got uh, the kind of the skinny on that when I talked to Claudio. The band was called Oliver. Oh, and, okay. And they recorded this album, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess Cinevox, whoever their label was, uh, when it came out, it was called Cherry Five. Hmm. And basically, for those people that don't know, Goblin is a progressive rock band that scored a bunch of Dario Argento, and then a lot of Italian uh, horror and exploitation movies in the, throughout the 70s and then into the early 80s. But their very first album was a song-based album with a singer actually singing English because you know they were fans of Yes 
at King Crimson and, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and stuff. And they actually lived in England for a short time and they put these songs together. They were really trying to make it. They were even shortly managed by Yes's manager. And then something happened. I think he, he went off with Yes and, and Goblin was in England without management. They decided to come back. They recorded those songs. So there's English vocals. It's a very British sounding progressive rock mm. uh, yeah. on that first album compared to the stuff that they would do like a year later as Goblin. But uh, with the success of this kind of rebirth of Goblin with actually a band called Goblin Rebirth, as well as New Goblin and now Goblin all having new material, the guy who was the singer on that original Cherry 5 album put out an album maybe last year that's mm. uh the the vocals are in italian but it is awesome mm-hmm. you should you should definitely really? check it out oh i gotta check it out it's really I think, good maybe i'm looking at it is this uh i can't i don't it's an italian title yeah yeah <laughs> but the, but the cover is some kind of like painting like right people okay uh, i think know. this is it i'm gonna check it out for sure yeah but f- um did claudio play on it looks like he's not on here i don't think so it's j- I, th- I believe the new one is just the singer from cherry five i see with okay. a whole new band but the music okay still, but the music's still great that original cherry five album is is great and like i said this they were they were called oliver and then this album came out and both claudio and Massimo Morente, the rest of the band, they were like, what, what is Cherry Five? <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh. so, like, what is, what is this? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it was shortly after that, it was that album that then got them the, the deep red score. Fantastic stuff. So musically, uh, you know, the stuff you do, like we were talking about, has a bit of a kind of like these eighties synth tones, but, uh, being a fan of Goblin, what other kind of stuff did you grow up? listening to in terms of soundtracks uh just music in general like you said you're oh. a fan were you a, were you a, were you a prog fan in general or uh in high school yeah that's that's when i got really into to uh prog and um and uh but before that um yeah it was uh a lot of instacola to be honest i mean he was <laughs> yeah yeah um, but yeah, also I was, I liked, uh, I was into Devo and, um, you know, kind of electronic stuff and, uh, some hair metal, uh, also coming from that Transformers influence, you know, cause they have some of that, um, some of that kind of eighties rock stuff on there. Sure. Um, but yeah, I got into the prog stuff in, in high school and got into, uh, you know, uh, big Genesis fan. And um, uh, big fan of Emerson, Lake and Palmer as well. Yeah, yeah. I was just listening to the Inferno score recently. The oh yeah, movie that Emerson did. Oh yeah, I love that yeah. score. But uh, his death was kind of tragic, and I was genuinely yeah uh, saddened when Emerson died. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, he it was a suicide, right? I think I mean, so. That's, yeah, yeah. That's just it was just terrible. Um, but yeah, a big talent. He also scored 
a movie that I know we'll get to on the regular show at some point called uh, Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone and Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I don't know if you know that you one. You know, I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard the soundtrack. Uh, is it a good movie? Well, I guess you'll talk about it later. But Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's an, it is it is a good movie. I mean, it's to my, my I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember watching it last time I watched it. It's a bit slow, but, uh, you know, we're so used to a different pace now that sometimes going mm-hmm. back and watching things from the early 80s is a different thing. They play cops, and there's, like, a terrorist. I think, I want to say Rudger, yeah, Rudger Hauer is, like, this terrorist. I mean, it's actually kind of very, it's more relevant probably today than it was in 1980 or 81, whenever it was actually made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting movie. I mean, uh, you know, fashion-wise, Diet and I always kind of joke that it, you know, when we, even when we were in college, that if we ever, you not having a reference to the movie, the, visually, you know, Stallone has like long hair and a beard, and I have a beard, and uh, we mm-hmm. always joked that if we went to a Halloween party, that we would dress up as Stallone, and and he <laughs> would be Billy D. Williams from, okay. from Nighthawks. Yeah. Uh, you also listed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie on. Uh, oh yeah. On a possible <laughs> talking point. So I, we actually covered. Uh, over the summer when the new sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was coming out, we did our first double feature podcast where we talked about the first one and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Us. Of course, it ended up being like, you know, two hour, you know, an hour and a half of talking about the first one and then a half hour talking about Secret of the Us. But Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you but, don't like uh, uh what's his name? Vanilla Ice? No, I actually I like it a lot. It's just, you know, <laughs> Uh, we cover on the show, we, we do obviously talk about our, our own personal experiences with the movie and kind of the nostalgia of that, but we get very much mm-hmm. into the backgrounds of the movies. And in that case, you know, the coming from a, a comic book and then into a cartoon mm-hmm. show and then being developed into a live action movie on a live action movie that Jim Henson had something to do with. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just, you know, there was a lot of meat, just to, there was right. a lot of like background to lead up right. into the movie. So, it ended up being kind of a lopsided uh, discussion just because of, you know, there was so much of a more to talk about in terms of setting up the first right, one right. in terms of background. Right. Uh, I re- I have fond memories of both. I definitely saw both in the theaters. I think I actually saw the second one in the theater twice. Oh, wow. I think I saw it with a buddy of mine. And then like two days later, somebody had a birthday party where we all went to the movies to see it. Oh, yeah. I'd already seen it. <laughs> But we right. still was into seeing it again. I mean, it was a, it's a crazy phenomenon, the whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles things. And, and yeah. uh, you're a little bit younger than me, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a little bit after things like Transformers and whatnot. So you were probably hitting that sweet spot in terms of age <laughs> and, and stuff yep. for, for the Turtles. Yeah, that was – I was the the T.O. in uh, – was it 87? Was that when it started? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. You know, Deanna and I joke because we do all this research and then we talk about it and then it's like instantly we forget it all. And then we'll, we'll listen <laughs> yeah. back to the old podcast and it's us talking. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. I didn't know that. And it's like me <laughs> saying it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Here, I'm looking at it right now. Let's see. Yeah, it, look, 1987 was the, the cartoon series. Um so that was another one. I we had it on VHS, and I just watch it over and over and over again. So when the movie came out in '91, I think, um, of course that was right. That was prime time, you know, for me. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it was like 90, 91. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting time, We, t- you know, for, you know, you being a little bit younger, it might not be this way for you, but for people that are my age, I'm 38, mm-hmm. you know, a generation before us, the movie was probably Star Wars, but for us, there's a pre-Batman the movie and post-Batman the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. it was like a landmark like just the it was just this huge thing and all the publicity you remember it and so that was 89 and so i think a mm-hmm. lot of those kinds of things got greenlit because of batman because the uh, movie is yeah you know tonally you know not dark but darker than surely darker than the tv show although the original comic book was was much darker right than, than right. both but uh the movie itself uh you know it was it was a great time to be a kid, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did you uh did you ever see the stage show that they had the Ninja Turtles stage I, show? No, I I I didn't, but I remember you were probably I remember when it existed. That time. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was pretty amazing too. Did you go to that? Did like dad, I, I, did your I dad went one take you to that? <laughs> no, it wasn't my dad. It was it was uh I think I went with my friend and his parents took us and you know they, you know they're dancing around and singing, yeah, and, yeah. you know fighting on stage and stuff like that. Is it, it was fun, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a great documentary. Unfortunately, now I'm blanking on the name of it, but there's a great documentary about the whole like history. Oh of, yeah, of, of the turtles, and uh, you should probably check it out. It's really interesting. Oh it yeah, kind of sure. follows it through, you know, the invention of the characters through the comic book they were the independent comic book into like the toy marketing mm-hmm. and in the movies it's 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 really interesting and they even get into that stuff the live stage show and yeah and all that stuff i to my recollection there was like a uh marketing campaign along with like pizza hut yes with, with yes that live you're right show. <laughs> yes <laughs> and the original teenage mutant Ninja turtles nintendo game was Oh yeah, yeah. That was that the I game was crazy. I mean, it couldn't get past, you know, the 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 underwater bit. Yeah, but, I was just, uh, just going to say that like <laughs> electric uh, you know, algae. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like in those days it didn't matter, you know, you just played the same levels, you know, the same first three levels over and over again. It was awesome. Yeah, no, it was like a it was a puzzle. But uh, I know you've talked in other th- things about uh, kind of your love for video games and and the video mm-hmm. game music of your youth. Yes. Um, yes. Also, my dad as well. He's a big. He's a big. More than I am now. Uh, he plays a lot of games. The uh, the second time I interviewed your dad, like I said, he had for the book. He had by that time had done way too many interviews. I'm sure for his own liking about his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel very blessed that I got to talk to him way before any of that because he just was. You could just tell he was just not in the mood anymore. Right. And yeah. I, I, I've said this to, to, to my friends. I was like, I genuinely think he was playing a video game the second time. I talked. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. <laughs> no doubt about it. I was like, I heard like button clicking and, <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Uh, anyway, so, uh, I would love to talk to you more, but I think we're going to wrap it up because I don't want to take any more of your time. Um, okay. Again, the album is Alternate Universe. Uh, now, it's available pretty much everywhere you download music now, right? 
Yes, only digital though. I and no physical release as of yet. Yeah, but it's on iTunes and Amazon and yes. all those things. Is there anything about it that we didn't cover that you would like to let people know about it? Um. Yeah, you mentioned briefly. It's got kind of a more pop element, and and that's true. It's I I tried to make it a little bit more catchy, you know, a little bit more accessible. So, uh, hopefully, anybody can listen to it and enjoy it. Uh, so, I recommend everybody listen to it and enjoy it. Yeah, I recommend it as well. You know, I I uh, you know I asked after I saw that you had it, I downloaded, I listened to it, and that's when I asked you if you wanted to come on. And talk about movies and stuff because I genuinely really enjoy it. And uh, oh, thank I, you. I urge anybody who, especially if you're into, you know, the nostalgia for the '80s, it definitely has uh, tonally in terms of the actual sounds and stuff. It's very, mm-hmm. very much, uh, you know, a part of that aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I was going for, for sure. Yeah. What uh, is there? You said. You know, the Ludrium is different than the Cody Carpenter stuff. Is there, where can we find your other music? Um, yeah, the Ludrium stuff is on my Bandcamp page. Um, I'm also working on a new album uh, that will feature uh, some pretty amazing musicians. Uh, Jimmy Haslip on bass and Virgil Donati is going to play drums on one of my tracks, which I'm super excited about. Wow. Um, we're working on that now. I don't know when that's going to happen, but yes, you can listen to the other Ludrium stuff on uh, the Bandcamp page. Very cool. Um, any plans for uh, more musical collaborations in terms of being released with uh, your dad and Daniel? Um, nothing really, uh, but... You know, there's always uh, there's always talks of different things. Nothing is in the works, so to speak. But um, I'm sure we'll be doing something uh, because I'm I'm back in L.A. right now. So yeah, um, I was wondering. Yeah. You know, clearly, you know, your dad has uh, has the notoriety factor. But I always wondered, kind of like, why wasn't it? You know, like. John Carpenter and Sons, or something. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> something else. Nah, nobody cares about the rest of us. Because <laughs> uh, they're both fantastic. If you if uh, you're at all a fan of uh, John Carpenter's music, or even you know soundtrack music in general, it's uh, or instrumental kind of music. Both of those albums are are fantastic and worth picking out, checking out, as well as Alternate Universe by Cody Carpenter. Uh, what I'd ask you is, I've, I mean, clearly I've heard the name Cody, but I've never known anybody named Cody. Is it is it short oh. for anything, or is it just Cody? No, uh, my dad said I was named after uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, who was a famous uh, <clears throat> cowboy. Sure. Uh, a real real person, a historical person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not short for anything that I know of. Uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it is that, that I don't know about. But Yeah, I don't know if it was like, you know. I don't know. I don't even know what it would be short for. Yeah, right. But uh, this was fantastic talking to you, Cody. I really appreciate you sitting down, uh, taking the time to chat uh, about movies and music and uh, sitting through stupid questions about your dad. (laughs) No, no, it's all good. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, Again, uh, my name is Jay Blake, and this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers Presents 
movie lovers. We've been talking to Cody Carpenter. You can find his music on iTunes and Amazon or at Ludrium Band. What it was Bandcamp site. Bandcamp, yeah. And That's you're also right. uh, L U D R I U M on Twitter as well, correct? Yes, that's me. And uh, you can follow our show at, at Sat Sleepovers on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. Uh, our show is available pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, including iTunes. And I have a book out called Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers. It's available just about everywhere you can buy books, but it's also on Amazon, in paperback, and on Kindle. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Cody one more time. And thank you very much. We're going to leave you now with a track called Little Magic Girl from Cody Carpenter's album Alternate Universe, available on iTunes, Amazon, and just about everywhere you download music. We'll be back next week with the brand new Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Thank you for listening. Later.
Oh, you know, I didn't mention um, my dad has a copy of your book sitting on the coffee table uh, at his house. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it's uh, it's right there. 